0: This is Bob Rourke with Business Leaders Podcast, and today we're incredibly fortunate. We've got Steve Urban, founder and CEO of RiderFlex, as our guest. Steve, welcome to the show. Hello, Bob. Thank you. Glad to be here. Super. Well, we're going to dig right into it. First, tell us a little bit about your business and who you serve. So RiderFlex is a business advisory
1: uh, and recruiting firm. We're based in Denver, but we do uh, recruiting work all over the country. Um and you know, people always ask us, you know, what industries do you focus on? And I I, I always pause and say, yes. <laughs> My mm-hmm. yes, because we focus on all. We tried to, or when we first started the business, we thought, well, since I was a former consumer goods executive, we thought we'd go with consumer goods. Um, but we started getting phone calls from other industries, um, whether it's legal, tech, services even the cannabis industry, which we serve because we're based in Denver. And so at this point, uh, because our model is all about matching personalities to culture and less about a specific industry, I feel like we can do any industry. Um, It doesn't really matter. And so we're not letting ourselves get boxed into a specific industry. Um, And so we're careful about that. I remember when we got the first phone call for uh, for attorney interviews. You know, uh, the law firm said, "Well, have you ever hired attorneys?" And I said, "No, but here's the deal. I know you, Ray, uh, was our customer. I said, I know your style. I know your personality. I've stayed at your home. I've met your family. I know the kind of people you'll work well with. And if you just give me the requirements of the job, I guarantee you I'll find the right. You know, we'll find the right uh, lawyer uh, to fit your firm. And so." At that point, we started saying, you know what, we're not going to box ourselves in. We're going to focus on matching cultures and personalities. You just give us the job description. I don't care if it's a full-stack developer from the IT field or whatever. We can do it. And so the answer, that's a long answer, but uh, the answer is all. We focus on all, and we're not going to let ourselves get boxed in. You know, so you don't specialize. No,
0: nope. so, and everybody
1: everybody says we should, and, and I always push back and go, "Yeah." well. Right now, if, if somebody wants to pay us, and, and you know, we're going to do a good
0: job, and we're not going to say no to, to a new customer. So, you know, point. thinking about that, so for the listener that's either going like, how do I retain them to place me? Mm-hmm. Or for the company that's going, I'm looking for a particular skill set to fill a position. Mm-hmm. Let's dig into both of those. Yep. So, so here's the deal. Most companies have a decent job
1: description or the specs, right? The, the, let's call it the requirements. Um, hey, they, they, he has to have this degree, and he's got to have this experience uh, with this sort of programming, or whatever. They got they got these specs. Doesn't matter what the industry is. What we usually say is that's great. Okay, you gave us the the job description. Um, we have the requirements for the job. I think most recruiting firms stop right there, and they say, okay, cool. We're going to find resumes that match this job description, and we're going to shove these candidates in front of you. For us, it's really more the beginning phase. We we get that job description, and we say, okay, great, that's 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 cool, we got that. Now Steve's gonna fly out uh, to meet the CEO, spend an afternoon in the office, get to know the culture of the team, take the CEO to dinner, hopefully meet the CEO's family, get to know them, so that I understand their culture and their style. Um, Because at the end of the day, I think companies focus, or, or I think companies are successful based on the people that are in the room working together. And people can only work together if their styles and cultures have a good match. I mean, how many times have you seen a good product or a good service blow up because Bob and Johnny don't get along? Because Bob and Johnny have different styles. And so we're all about making sure that the client knows we're gonna understand your culture and your style and we're gonna fit people to match that. Any junior level recruiter can get a job description, and match a resume to it. That doesn't take much talent. We take it to a whole nother level and
0: making sure that we're matching cultures to personalities. You know, for that particular person that's looking to be placed in a particular C-suite role mm-hmm. or in another role, what can that person expect if they engage you guys? Yeah, good question. So our
1: process is pretty much like this. We'll, you know, if we get an engagement, we'll get all the specs, we'll, we'll understand the client. We'll get to know them like I talked about. But then what we do is we'll probably put about 300 people into a bucket. And those 300 people will come from some applications, but mostly from our sourcing and hunting because of our recruiter seats in various places. And so we'll gather up about 300 people into a bucket. We'll closely screen those resumes and those profiles to make sure they match the job description. And then we'll set up about 50 phone screens. So they'll go through a phone screen first with us, and that phone screen phone call uh, will be really designed to say, "Do you have a master's degree in accounting, or do you have?" And just we're just kind of checking the boxes. Mm-hmm. Um, and do the, will you move? Do you live in the right place? Just checking the boxes on requirements and salary and where you live and all that stuff. So let's say we, we had 300 people in the bucket. We did 50 phone screens, then we'll push them to a video interview round. And now they'll be on a video interview with me. No no other recruiter, only former executives like myself will be doing the video interview rounds, which we think is absolutely critical. And I'll, I'll touch on that in a minute, but they'll go through the video round and that's another 30 to 45 minutes with me. And in that phase, what I'm really trying to do is not as much about me checking their the boxes on experience. It's me understanding who they are. Do they like to hunt? Do they like to fish? Are they a marathon runner? Are they super active? Or are they you know what is, what's their style? Um, because I'll already know the CEO and the company and their culture because of our homework we did before, and then I'm trying to match them up that way. So that it's really a it's really conversational, really during the video interview. Almost every, especially the C-level guys that we interview, towards the end of the video interview, several people have said, wow, like, you know, I've never never been interviewed like this. (laughs) Usually it's somebody looking at a piece of paper and checking off little boxes because they're supposed to ask certain questions. We don't do that. I just have a good conversation with them, get to know them, dig their personality and their style out of them uh, so that. I can figure out who they are. And in some cases, our clients want to see the video interviews. And so the client can also gauge their style and personality from the video interview before they ever go meet the client, mm-hmm. which saves time too. And so and so to, to finish answering your question, once the candidate gets the video interview round, then we'll select probably three to five what we call finalists that we will present to the client. And we'll say, all right, Mr. Mrs. Client. We started with 300, we phone screened 50, we video interviewed 25, here are the five best. And by the way, any of these five can do the job. We're putting three to five in front of you so that you have plenty of options um, and you pick the one you want. You meet those three to five and pick the one you want. And the other great thing about having the three to five finalists, which we think all can do the job, is if they pick one and it crashes or the negotiations go bad, they can fall back on another one. Let's
0: circle back a little bit and talk about Prior to Ryder Flex, mm-hmm. you had a an extensive career yep. in retail yep. and I think middle market. Yes. Yeah, I was. It was all
1: yeah, small to mid-sized
0: companies. I
1: I worked for a few larger ones, but um, I was an old uh, retailer and then an executive, whether it be retail or wholesale. It, it eventually became wholesale too. So you could say I'm an old uh, I'm an old retailer that turned into a retail wholesale executive. I mm-hmm. guess uh, over the years. And so I started my, you know, I interviewed my first person. Uh, I was 16 years old. Uh, and I was the assistant manager of the neighborhood convenience store where I lived in Oklahoma. And I remember the owner said, well, yeah, we got some, so we got some guys coming in. I want you to interview them. And I did my first interview in 1983. <laughs> and so, uh, I've been doing interviews for a super long time. And I think, uh, you know, uh, over the years, I've gotten pretty darn good at, at bucketing people's personalities and styles and, and putting them into what I think is probably a function that, that they will do well in or a style or a culture that they'll do well in. I've gotten really good at that over the years. And that's just from interviewing thousands, hiring and, and firing hundreds, and, and managing many, many people at all levels. I've gotten pretty good at finding the right person to put in the right job. And that's what makes us different, Bob, too, is, you know, so many of these recruiting firms, and if I get passionate on this part, I I apologize, but so many of these recruiting firms, quite frankly, have recruiters with a pretty face that they slap on LinkedIn because those are going to get attention from, from people, but they've never, these recruiters have never been hiring managers, they've never been executives, they've never held any of these important positions that they're now recruiting for, and they're making decisions on people that should go through and be hired at companies. And I always think to myself, why in the heck would a CEO or a founder of a company that has built something from the ground up and spent millions of dollars and poured his lifeblood, why would he let a junior level recruiter that has no hiring experience make the decision for the bodies that go into his company? And so we always stress that. We say, look, you can hire those inexperienced people to find your candidates, or you can actually hire a former executive like yourself mm-hmm. that knows you that can select the right candidates. And that's a big difference for us at Rider Flex. And so I don't know, I kind of went down a, a Well, no, a I, path was, there I was thinking, answer, as you said,
0: they, they only hire them for a pretty face. And I'm thinking. It, it happens all the time. So you have that problem. They say, you know, we're working with you because you have a pretty face. I well, don't have that.
1: Unfortunately, <laughs> I don't have that problem. But, but you know, it's it's almost comical. I see these LinkedIn profiles of these recruiters, and they're all good-looking folks for a reason, right? Because we're all visually attracted in some way, and, and it makes a big difference because it sells. But then you look at the profiles of some of these folks, and you're like, what in the world? Why would this person be qualified to make a good judgment on the right candidate. For
0: the business owner that's listening, if you had one or two key pieces of advice, if they're stuck in the interview mill trying to mm-hmm. find good people, mm-hmm. what would you offer given all your years of, of doing interviews? You know, always is never's. Um, well, first thing I'd say is you need to hire Rider No, I'm just joking. Well, that's the always. <laughs> that's the
1: always. No, right. I would say it's time, really. I, I think it takes so much time. If you, if you really want to hire the right person, you need to invest time. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that time is the time to source and hunt, the time to screen the resumes coming in, the time to take them through several rounds of interviews. Most companies just don't – they don't do that because they don't have time. Mm-hmm. And they end up – and then they end up in this shotgun approach where they just – they're super desperate They're out of time. They barely have time to breathe. They hire the first person they meet because they just need the position filled. And so I would just encourage CEOs or companies to to invest in a good recruiting firm that can help them. You know, the the sad part is that, you know, the CEO or the CFO, they, they see the fee and they're like, oh, well, we'll just do that internally. We don't need to pay that fee. But they don't factor in that all of these people internally don't have time. That's not their skill set. And so now you've got these people making shotgun decisions because they're frustrated, tired, and in a hurry. And if they would have invested those dollars, those dollars would have been saved by slower turnover and better talent that would help you know, make their company more profitable.
0: I see it all the time. That feeds into one of the things we wanted to talk about is so the potential clients listening mm-hmm. and they're trying to frame a potential fee. Yep. And I know that, yes. that that's always a discussion. And, and how do you address that particular discussion?
1: You know, our answer is look, we have a premium service and we're going to spend a lot of time finding you the right candidate. We're going to, first of all, we're going to spend a lot of time getting to know you. Then we're going to spend a lot of time getting to know the candidates and we're going to match the right person. So it's a premium service. And Our fee structure probably uh, compared to what everybody else is doing in a a high-level executive search firm should probably be 30% of compensation or higher based on the the amount of time that we're spending on candidates. But we don't really have a certain number. Our fee matches the budget of our client, I think is the best way for me to say it. Um, If we want to do business with that client because we, we think they're good people and, and the CEO running it is a good person and we want to have a relationship with them long term. We'll figure out the number. And, and I don't, we don't go to a meeting saying, well, we have to have this. Mm-hmm. You know We go to the meeting saying, let's talk about it. Here's what we provide. Here's what we think it's worth. Let's talk about what you can afford and let's see if we can figure it out. I know that's a kind of a gray answer, but I, I don't like to have a hard number because it, it really it, it depends on the engagement. Are we gonna hire five people? are we gonna hire 50 is it a one-time deal? Is it a client that could last and be there for a long time? Is it for example, if Nike called us tomorrow, we'd probably do the engagement for free mm-hmm. th- because we need that client meaning it all depends. Sure. On what we're you know and we're since we're startup still uh, to a certain degree because Riderflex is the entity even though I've been interviewing for thirty years, this entity and brand is still new and so, we will do certain things um, to make
0: sure we're engaged with the right companies, uh, and so the fee structure varies. Well, you know, if, in, in thinking about that for the folks that are listening and says, "Geez, we need to reach out to you." What's the best way for folks to find you?
1: First of all, riderflex.com, mm-hmm. uh, Our website has. Everything about us on there that you could possibly want to know, including my direct email and our corporate phone number. And in fact, if they wanted to go deeper, um, my LinkedIn profile has my email and personal cell phone number right on my LinkedIn profile, which always I'm always fascinated by because when salespeople are calling to sell us something— they will call the corporate number, or they'll email me saying, "How do I get in contact with you?" And I'm thinking to myself, "If you're a good salesperson, you would have checked my LinkedIn profile because my personal sales right there."
0: <laughs> you know, and
1: and for folks out there, that's R I D E R Flex F L E X. Yep. Rider Flex, yep. Rider Flex, all one word. Rider Flex. And by the way, one of the things on our website that they can see, because we really, this is important for us. Because we spend so much time getting to know the client and the the candidates, we really build a relationship with them. And when they go to the website on RiderFlex, they will see a reviews tab. And that reviews tab has all the reviews from C-level people on down, clients and candidates that have experienced RiderFlex saying what it's like to to do business with us. I think on uh, Google, we have like, I think, 28 five-star reviews in a matter of 15 months. Um, and it's all people saying, wow, I've been dealing with recruiters for a long time and most of them just aren't very good. (laughs) And, uh, and so when they go to the website, anyway, they'll see that they'll see our board members, they'll see our clients, they'll see our reviews. They'll even see our process on the website. We've had some people say, oh my gosh, don't put your process on the website. Somebody will, somebody will steal your process. And I think that's funny. We, first of all, there's no secret sauce there, there is no secret super patented algorithm formula for what we're doing. I have no problem putting the process right on the website. And the reason is, is because Bob, the reality is most people aren't gonna do it. Most people aren't gonna do it, they just won't do it. And so I, don't, I have no problem saying this is what we're doing because I know you, Mary and Johnny, you're not gonna do what we're doing, so I'm not worried about it. For, for example, we're right on the verge of signing a contract with a new client in New York. And we were on the phone with the CEO talking about the contract and the relationship, just starting to build a relationship. And we said, okay, well, listen, um, the next thing we're going to need to do is Steve's going to, Steve's going to fly out to New York and, and meet your team and take you to dinner and stuff. And there was this long pause on the phone from the CEO and he's, he, the CEO says, well, what do you mean? And we're like, no, we're going to come out and get to know you. He said, wow, I've never had any recruiter say that they wanted to do that before. And so, um, we just believe that that kind of relationship leads to reviews, referrals, recommendations, and that's how we've built RyderFlex. People ask us, "Wow, you've you, 30 clients and 60 positions in 15 months." That's because we do a really good job, and we get the reviews and the referrals that take us to the next client. Because I and I th- and I think that's how you should build the business. We haven't spent a, hardly a, we haven't spent a dime on marketing. It's all been grassroots marketing of word of mouth and just do a good job. And wrapping up that piece about the process. This is what I say about the process, too. You know, I walk them through what I explained to you all ago, the 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 phone, the video rounds, and how we do all that. But really, the overarching thing is we just do a really good job. Like, we just work really hard. We communicate really well. We do what we say what we're going to do. We follow up very thoroughly, and we present great candidates. And when I tell people that, they're always like, oh, that's so... Basic, like, well, doesn't everybody do that? No, everybody doesn't do that.
0: <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's a foot in front of the other approach, and it's a process.
1: Yep. Yeah. If you and if you if you follow a, a decent process, it doesn't have to be scientific and secret. Just have a process and do a really good job. And we don't, by the way, I want to mention this too, while I have a chance. We're not big on testing. Um, you know, some companies love all these. They want candidates to fill out a survey and do a questionnaire because. And I've done them all, you know, all of them, you know, I've done them all in my career. And I don't don't want to mention them on here because I don't want to slam any specific one. But I I just don't, I just don't believe in them. And I always say, if you want a survey to tell you what candidate you should hire, then you don't need me. You don't need me. Uh, Just have them do the survey and you can make your hire. And I I really have a hard time with, you know, we live in this tech world where everybody's trying to create an app or an algorithm to make decisions for people. And we're the total opposite. I I don't use testing. We visit with the candidate over video interview. And then sometimes if they're local, we'll we'll meet them in person. Um, We just did a a CFO position recently in Denver, and I met the candidates in person. And so we're big on getting to know the person through human-to-human contact, not some BS
0: survey that's going to kick out some sort of algorithm that says what you should do. There's value in the know, like, and trust from that human interaction. There and really is. And I think about all the years of experience, you know, and, and I think there's wisdom from experience. Go, I've seen Big this time. movie before. Big time. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> well, well, shifting gears from the movie, we're going to go to what's the most recent book Our most influential book that has altered your perception on being a CEO? You know, I could list a bunch of
1: them. We could talk about that probably for a long time. But if I had to pick one for this interview, I think what what relates the most here is uh, Choose Yourself by James Altucher is a book that um, I think pushed me over the edge. It's a book that I knew when I was finishing up that last CEO position as a regular W-2 employee, I read that book and and I kind of had this moment where I said, you know, if I'm gonna start my own company, I'm almost 50 years old, it's time to do it before it's too late. And, um, you know, the book is all about, you know, the title is somewhat misleading because the title makes it sound selfish because it's Choose Yourself, but really what it's saying is it's saying do something that makes you happy, and and don't don't just follow the the normal path of a job that pays well because somehow you think that's going to make you happy. I've had jobs that pay really well, and the first year of Riderflex, I made uh, probably as much as I made the first year coming out of college, and I was ten times happier than I was the year that I made a crap load of money as a CEO for another company. Um, so anyway, that book made it made a an impact on me because it pushed me to, to, to walk away from being a CEO and start, start RyderFlex. Actually, I read that book as well.
0: Did you? Yeah. It's worth, it's worth read. Shared it yeah. with my kids. Good. Oh yeah. So, you know, looking back over your career, what failure or at the time it was an apparent failure has served you or your company best or set you up for future achievement?
1: Maybe well, let's use something. Let's use something, uh, recently that happened with RyderFlex. Uh, I mean, we, you know, any good uh, executive would tell you and an honest executive will tell you there's been numerous failures in their life right that's the only way they get stronger and grow but one that ties to riderflex recently is we say yes to all industries as i mentioned earlier we started at first saying yes to all levels of hires and we tried to take on some entry-level stuff that a client wanted us to do after we had filled an executive position for them. In fact, we had filled a couple of executive positions, and they said, by the way, we could really use some help on some entry-level stuff, too. Because that client meant a lot to us and we had a very good relationship with them, we wanted to take care of them. You know, We wanted to do the right thing. So we tried to fill some entry-level positions it just didn't fit for us it, it, we failed at it because because our process is so in-depth with extended phone calls and extended video interviews and the amount of time we invest in the candidate it didn't financially it doesn't it didn't fit our our model because they they can't you know the client can't pay very much for entry-level positions and that didn't match the amount of payroll and time we had to, we were spending on them on our side and so it just the numbers just didn't match up. And the other thing is, if you have filled several manager or executive level positions and you've built a great reputation with a client because they love your candidates and you've put professional people in the building and everybody loves each other, and then all of a sudden you send them five entry-level people uh, that you could barely get to show up for the interview and they and they quit in a month, then all of a sudden, rider Flex... Is thought of in that light too. And yes. it starts to damage your brand. And so there's other recruiting firms out there that do a great job at entry level and that's what they specialize in. And that, that's not that just doesn't fit our model right now. So that
0: trying to do that anyway, to answer your question, trying to do that was a mistake for us. You know, in, in thinking about the Colorado specific challenge on hiring with the cannabis industry, yeah. you know, and and I don't know is is that Pretty much the same as every other industry, or are you finding specifics Uh, for that?
1: And we do. And by the way, I should mention, so out of the 30 plus logos we have on the website, I think we have, there's two or three that are cannabis. And um, so cannabis is a is an industry that we are not afraid to serve, but it's a sm- it's a smaller piece of what we do. but we will take those engagements when we get those phone calls. I think that separates us by the way, I know this is not answering your question yet, but I think that separates us as a recruiting firm. We're not afraid to take cannabis and so many people still are. you know they're like, oh well, we don't want to be you know we don't want to be associated with that or oh, it might hurt it might hurt us from getting other cl- other clients because they see a cannabis company on, our, on your website. I think just the opposite. I think the opposite, and I think, and and I, and I, what we're thinking is, if we if we establish early on that we're brave enough to do cannabis and we have experience at cannabis along with the other industries, as more states come online for cannabis, we're going to get the phone call first, versus a company that hasn't dealt with that industry. And so I think it's a plus, but anyway, to answer your question, no, it's not, and in fact, it's um, it's even more fun because a ton of high-level, highly educated, experienced executives want in the industry. And so, you know, people always think, oh, it must be tough, you know, getting, getting executives to, to, to sign up for cannabis. And I'm like, are you kidding me? It's easier to get an executive to sign up for cannabis than it is other companies because they, they all want in. I mean, they bang our door down trying to get in. So, no, I love it. It's great. We, we, we have more talent Almost than we can possibly manage sometimes, uh, and so uh, I, yeah, it's great. Um,
0: believe it or not, yeah, it's, it's well, no, it's, that's, it's, it's an interesting perspective because yep. you know you think about well, there's every other conventional industry that's pretty much been out there, mm-hmm. and then you have the cannabis industry, which is relatively new.
1: Well, the reason that the c level people want in is because in their heads they're going to they're gonna strike, a, they're going to negotiate a deal for equity, and so they think as the companies grow there's going to be a big, be a big payout. And so they, you know, a lot of people want in the industry, it really becomes more a matter of, you know, let's pick the right person. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's fun. It's fun to do a
0: C level for, for cannabis for sure. If you could teach a course or share an insight with your very best friend or colleague that was just starting a business, what would it be and why? There's two reasons people don't start their, their own company in my mind. Um,
1: why Why 90% of America, I don't know what the exact stat is, but why most people just work a job and don't start their own companies. It's two reasons. Number one, the number one reason is fear of poverty. They're scared. Um, what if it doesn't work? How am I going to pay my bills? Oh my gosh. So the number one reason is fear. Number two reason they don't start their own company is is because it's really freaking hard. <laughs> uh, and so... Those two things, I think, block people uh, from doing it. And so, if I was gonna, if I was gonna teach a course, I would probably teach it in two segments. I would talk about the first one on the fear piece. I would say, you know, stop letting this this fear of, well, what if I don't make it? How am I going to pay my bills? And oh, I'm going to have to, you know, well, the reality is, you're you're living in that same fear now as a W two employee. You could be laid off next week. You know, just because you're a W-2 employee doesn't mean there's any guarantees. There are no guarantees. You could lose that job, too, but you get up and go to work every day. Why do you feel more comfortable living in that world where you could be laid off at any time versus starting your own business? You, I, I think they tricked themselves into thinking there's no fear on the W-2 regular employee side when really there is. There's tons of fear there, too. Um, so get past the fear. Um and and you'll, you'll be fine. Um, and then the other one, like I said, it's really hard, you know, first of all, to be successful at anything is really hard, whether it's W2 job or sports or whatever, you have to work really hard. But if you, if you're going to start your own thing, be, be ready to, um, give up your life, so to speak, at least for a while. Uh, because it's twenty four seven. When you're working your own company, you don't think about it as work. You're, you're you're just you're you're thinking about it all the time. It's like your child. I mean, you wake up in the middle of the night at three a.m. and you're 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 on the computer doing something else because it's your baby. You don't even you don't think about hours. And if, here's a funny story. One of my board members, I called one of my board members to to get some advice on a topic, and uh, it, it was about eight o'clock in the morning or so. And he he answers the phone. He's like, "Steve, it's Sunday morning at eight o'clock," and I, I, to be honest, to be perfectly honest, I didn't even know it was Sunday. (laughs) I was, I didn't even realize it was Sunday because I don't think in terms of weekends and days off and forty hours a week. I just you don't think in those terms, and so. If you're willing to do that, uh, you can be successful. I really believe. I really. You, so you got it. You got to hump it when you when you get past the fear
0: and work really hard, and you'll be fine. You know, I was I was thinking about it is when I looked at your website and I looked at your board. You have a robust board. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about your thought on on forming your
1: board. A couple of things. First, I, I think if you're going to run your own company, um, that's another class we could teach, right? To to startup CEOs is you want to surround yourself with really smart people that have done it right away because they can tell you where they failed or where their challenges were. They can give you great advice. And so surround yourself with people smarter than you that have already been there to lean on um, so that you can, you know, get through the tough times and get their advice. I think that's absolutely critical. So that's, so that's the first reason to surround yourself with those people. The second reason we did it, I guess, is to establish immediate credibility for the brand. If, if these guys with their companies are tied to us our brand it gives us more credibility because then all of a sudden people look at Riderflex and they say oh well black lab sports is tied to to Riderflex uh, executive uh, specialist group is tied to Riderflex um, you know these these give you credibility to say wow these, these these must be pretty good guys that do a good job or these other executives wouldn't wouldn't be signed on here and so it was a marketing credibility piece, but it was also a, a situation where I wanted to learn from them and gain value from them. You know, the problem with C- CEOs, especially the ones that created a product, the ones that create that developed an app, or they 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 created you know a new bottle of water, you know, any kind of creator they get this big, giant eagle all of a sudden. They're like, oh, well, I, I made the best microphone in the whole world, so I'm super smart, and I don't really need to surround myself with board members. <laughs> I think that's a big mistake. Um, because just because you created something doesn't mean you're smart enough to run a business by yourself. Surround yourself with smart people. And we did that, by the way. that Those board members came from years and years and years of relationships that I built over time as, a, as an executive. I made sure to establish good relationships and good networking over the years and so those were those were long-term relationships that I called on when the time was right and so I also encourage people to do, to do that especially a young person a young entrepreneur that's in his late 20s you know you should be building relationships and networking as fast as you can go and surround yourself with smarter people that that have done it
0: what's that old saying, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room? Correct.
1: Get a a, a new group of friends if you're the (laughs) smartest one in the group. Yep.
0: What's the one initiative that you've executed in the past uh, few years that has helped your company the most, do you think? I touched on the culture piece enough, so I'll mention this other one. Um,
1: We have this this video interview round that a lot of companies don't have, a lot of recruiting firms don't do. They just talk to people over the phone. I think implementing and executing our process of video interviews sets us apart in a lot of ways. It takes time. And that's why most recruiting firms don't do it. Uh, but that's, that, that has made a huge difference for us because when I can see the person's face and their body language and all of these things that you can see them in person, well, you don't see them in person, but you can see them, you know, on the video, I think it makes a huge difference in selecting the right candidate. Um, and can you imagine, I, I don't know how recruiters actually send a client into a building never having seen them. That's scary to me. Like, we would never do that.
0: <laughs> you know, and for, for that listener out there says, you know, I'm, I'm scheduled to do a video interview, mm-hmm. similar to what you're talking about. What advice would you offer to them? The candidate? Uh, yeah, about yep. location yep. for the video, yes. dress, and so on.
1: Boy, we could do another podcast on this <laughs> one. Uh, <laughs> we could talk. We could have a no separate podcast. Um it, it, it blows me away how often a candidate doesn't factor in background, noise level, their dress code. Um, it, it really probably, I, I would guess, Bob, 50% of the time they blow it with that. They think, oh, this is a video interview with the recruiter, so if I have a T-shirt on, it's no big deal. Um Here's a perfect example. I'll tell you this funny story. I was doing a video interview with this guy the other day, and he's in the middle of telling me how super organized he is and super structured with his life because he's interviewing for an operations position, and he's telling me how he's a super structured guy. And in the background, I can see his bed's not made. There's trash overflowing on a, from a trash can on the floor that I can see in the video. There's clothes thrown around the room. I'm thinking to myself, you, you, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, And so, yeah, your background, your dress code on the video interview, even with a recruiter, it makes a huge difference. And imagine, too, I mean, remember, what the candidate has to remember is we're video interviewing probably 20, 25 people to pick the right candidate. If you took the time to be in a quiet, professional place and dress the part, you're going to stand out, and it's going to make a difference for you as a candidate. I highly encourage that. Uh, for the, and, and one more piece on that topic, and I could go all day on it, but um, check, your, check your technical stuff. Make sure you got the right software downloaded. Make sure you got the right microphone. Make sure your computer has a video camera that works because if the interviewer is waiting for you because something wasn't set up in time, it's going to make a difference on how they think of you. Uh, and so make sure your stuff— you're And it's doing. the
0: quality of the image.
1: Yes, yes. I mean, it really
0: just—it makes a huge difference. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> for for you, what's your most unusual habit or what others might consider out of the ordinary that's helped you or your company the most? Maybe this is for for me
1: personally. I'll give a personal uh tip that I do to manage myself that I don't know if everybody does. And I've been and this this applies for for CEOs and startups and whatever. Um I think as a CEO, your mind is is, cl- is your mind is filled with worry and concerns and ideas, constantly. Your you, your your head is just full of stuff all the time. And I, years ago, I started using a back before we had smartphones. I started using a little mini voice recorder that I would carry around in my pocket. And so, as I was walking down the hall, as I was driving, as I was on the treadmill in the morning, wherever I was, as I had a thought of, oh, I need to. Gosh, I need to make sure I talk to Mary about uh, X, Y, and Z. You know, I would make a I would make a, I would make a voice recording for myself. Or, boy, I need to make sure on the next team call I do this. And so I started making voice recordings for myself as I would have these thoughts. And and you do that during those times where you can't write it down, right? You're driving. You're you don't have a notepad in front of you. You can't write a note down. You can't type it in. And I think CEOs have these thoughts all day long when they're on the bus or they're riding the train, whatever. And it stresses them out because they're having all these thoughts, but they can't make a note of it right then, right? And so Mm -hmm. their brain is filled up with all this stuff and they get, I think it stresses them out. For me, I learned over the years that if I can just record the note when I think of it, then my brain can relax and move on to the next thing. I don't have to worry about remembering that until I get to my notepad or until I get to, until I park the car and try to remember to make a note of what I thought about. And it empties my thoughts and then, Every morning, part of my routine is I get my cup of coffee and the first thing I do is clear my recorder and I put those things then into my planner or wherever they should live, you know, in writing. Um, And I found that that has helped me tremendously because CEOs, I think, have great ideas or they remember they need to do things all the time, but they're not in a place to write it down and then it gets forgotten or they mess it up.
0: So what's your favorite recorder?
1: Well, now it's my smartphone. And so, yeah, yeah. So there's a ton of different apps. If you go to Google Play Store. There's a ton of them on there, and I have a quick one where it's got a, it actually allows you to have a little button right on your main screen. You don't have to open the app or anything. You just touch the button and boom, you make the recording. So what you're
0: telling me is you have a waterproof phone. So in the shower in the
1: morning. <laughs> that is so funny you mention that. So so is it, so crazy you mentioned that? A lot of times you have ideas in the shower, and so. Every morning when I'm in the shower, myself, my smartphone is right on the counter, right outside the shower, where I can reach, I can pull back the shower curtain, <laughs> grab it, make a note, and put it back down. I do that all the time.
0: And no, I'm not looking through your yeah, window, yeah, so no, you know, I don't know. I do it all the time. Yep, <laughs> yep. Uh, oh, It's funny you mention that. For you over the past few years as, as CEO of your company, what belief or protocol have you established in your company that's most impacted either your company or your success with your company?
1: Mm, I think the one that uh, I guess, you know, I hate to repeat myself here, but I think the two biggest things that make us successful are the fact that we are determined to understand culture and match personalities to it. That is so critical for us. I, and I know I mentioned that earlier, but most recruiting firms match resumes to job descriptions and they have junior level people doing that. Our biggest thing that's make it, made us the most successful, here's another example. I can. We, we just filled the director of human resource position for a, a, a fulfillment company in Denver. And when we visited the CEO and I got to know him, um, I knew that he was an in-shape guy. He, you could tell he worked out all the time, so he was super healthy, probably ate dry foods all the time. My partner, Scott Kegris, who who is, is has helped me build this thing, um, emailed me right away and said, hey, make sure you check the guy's Facebook page and his Instagram because he's got he's done this and he's a health food nut and blah, 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 blah. And so me visiting and us studying him, we knew that we knew what kind of style he was. And so guess what kind of person we put through? <laughs> we we didn't put through a, a director of HR that just simply matched the job requirement. We put through a director of HR that matched his style. And uh, we put through three finalists there, and they were all through the same. And he called us up, and he said, he's like, I don't know which one to pick. These are all great. And so, <laughs> and so anyway, that was a long answer. But I think the understanding the culture and spending time on that um, really sets us apart, and that's what's made us the most successful. And that's what separated us, I think, from this massive sea of recruiters that are, that are out there. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, that's been huge. So tough question. What advice would you offer to a new CEO assuming the role of CEO for the first time? So I
1: actually had this conversation with somebody I mentor um, on an advisory board for another company. And I just gave this advice to him. Um, I was having breakfast with, with him. And as we were having breakfast, he talked most of the time. And as he talked, he was in sales mode because most CEOs of startups are in sales mode all the time. They're selling why they think their startup's gonna work or they're selling because they need you to invest money or whatever. So they're just always selling. Or they're, they're talking because they're convincing their audience of why they're the CEO because they're actually not sure themselves and they, they're kind of insecure. So they, they're always talking to convince everybody w- w- why they're a CEO and why they should be CEO. So, so to summarize, they're they're talking because a they're selling, or they're talking because b they're insecure. And so, what I encouraged this this young man that I mentor, I said, you know, and I'll use a different name here. We'll call him Johnny. I said, Johnny, uh, you know, I really encourage you to listen more and talk less. And he and he goes, what do you mean? He goes, you, do you think I talk a lot? And I said, yeah. I, I said <laughs> I think you. I said you're you're constantly selling, or you're constantly telling me things to remind me or convince me why you should be the CEO. You're already the CEO. You're already the CEO. You're there now. Now your job and my encouragement for people would be listen and surround yourself with people that are going to give you good advice and listen to those people and get input from your team and get input from a bunch of sources before you make decisions. And so ask a lot of questions and listen more. Ask a lot of questions and listen more because if you do that as a CEO – because your job as a CEO is to make decisions. Not, and and you, shouldn't be make, you should be making those decisions based on
0: input that you get from your team. And you can only do that if you're listening. That's great advice. Yep. Um, most common misconceptions about you or your role as CEO – you know, my, early in my
1: career, I was in kind of an ops guy, right? Operations. I was operations guy in, in middle management. Ops was my thing. Getting things done, right? Making sure things were executed, tactical execution, getting things done on time. And so I was kind of built my career on ops before I became a C-level. And if you if you, if you you grow up in that world, you're very thorough, usually very organized, and your follow-up is usually big. Usually big. And so I've, I've heard people say, you know, you live and die by follow-up as a manager. And so I'm tenacious about the follow up. And so I think one of the th- misconceptions probably have been, has been over the years, wow, why Steve's always following up. He's always saying, "Hey, did you do that? Hey, did you get this done? Hey, where are we at with this?" And I sometimes that will cause really good employees to get a little uh, annoyed by your follow up because they're they're thinking he doesn't trust me to get this done. Why doesn't he trust me does he not trust me that i can do this job and actually that's not it at all i'm not asking and following up because i don't trust you i'm really following up so that i know where we're at with that project so that in case my board members or my investors ask me i know <laughs> and so really it's about gaining information on where we're at with things and but people i think sometimes take it as you don't
0: trust me you know if, if the person listening is said, I'm, that's me mm-hmm. i'm that guy mm-hmm. and you know so i've got really great staff What would you say to the great staff saying, look, I have a fatal flaw? You know, what would you tell them to try to offset that feeling that they don't trust, you know, that you're not trusted?
1: Um, I think I would explain it as, hey, listen, you know, I want to make sure that if I'm talking to the press, the board, the bankers, the investors, I just want to make sure I have the right answer for us as a team. And Please know that when I'm following up or asking you questions, that's me just trying to make sure that I'm well-armed and well-equipped to represent us in the right way. So just remember, I'm just trying to represent us as a team and I'm gathering information when I'm doing that.
0: So just, you're helping me answer questions better. Super. Over the past few years, what would or should you have said no to and why?
1: Um, I wish I would have said no to uh, big-paying W two executive jobs way before this. I started Ryderflex when I was forty nine. I wish I would have done it before. Um, uh, now you could argue and say, well, you have more c level experience, so it's probably good you waited. But I, you know, now I don't have that. I don't have as much time left, right, mm-hmm. to enjoy the the fruits of starting your own thing because I'm older. And uh, so I, I would have said no to. Um, maybe a couple of uh, high paying CEO jobs, maybe sooner. Um, but boy, I got to tell you, the first time I did walk away from a high level CEO job and came home and told my wife that I was going to start Rider Flex and we were going to be poor the next year. You can imagine how that went. <laughs> you know, you're, you're making really big money and you've been making big money for, you know, you get in this, most people earn most of their income, right? Or their, their biggest Earning years are probably between you know let's call it uh, thirty five and fifty five right. Mm-hmm. There's that twenty year period where you're really maximizing. Well, I'm re- still there, and I tell my wife, "Well, never mind. We're not gonna we're not gonna make these, that that big check you're used to, and I need you to prepare to sacrifice over so, this next year." So yeah, that was
0: <laughs> that was fun. Uh, <laughs> we're heading toward the close here, and. I thought I would ask you if you know if you were to talk to your friends or colleagues or, or customers and they said what's the one superpower that you have or the thing that you're absolutely best at? What would they say?
1: Um, reading people, judgment of judgment of character, um, probably is what they would say. I think, um, or they might say he's he's you know super, super organized and keeps the rest of us super organized. Maybe, but but. The thing that applies more to Rider Flex would be a pretty, pretty good judge of character. I mean, I can, I can size people up pretty quick. Uh, you know, another example on that I'll give you: we were doing, uh, we were doing a, a VP of Sales position for a startup in California, and I knew the CEO pretty well. And he calls me, and says, "Hey, I got this guy that I went to college with. I'm pretty sure I want to bring him on. Can you we talk to him?" And so I video interviewed the guy and I called the my friend and client back and I said, No, I you shouldn't do it. And he said, well, why? And I said, well, because number one, you're you're gonna hate him. You're 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 gonna clash, he's gonna piss you off, um he's super aggressive, type A, and so are you, and you guys are gonna be like two bulls and a small pin and it's not gonna work. <laughs> and so Anyway, I, I, and he's, so anyway he tried to hire the guy, and within 30 days he called me back and said, yeah, you're right, this is not going to work. So I'm pretty good at sizing people up. By the way, we do have misses, right? I think Jack Welch, I think it is, uh, uh, I hope I'm not quoting this wrong, but I think Jack Welch said if you can get 51% of your hires right, you're pretty damn good. So we, our percentage is a lot better than that. Um, so I do have, we do have misses, but, yeah, usually we're pretty good at, at picking the right personality
0: to go to the right culture. Well, Steve, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking time out of your day absolutely. and visiting about Rider Flex. So thanks. it's been
1: it's been a lot of fun. Thank you, Bob. I appreciate your time too. It's been absolutely.
0: Fun. Thank you very much.